Welcome to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank that brings you market views and insights on the go. Hello, everyone. I'm Hannah Chu, Portfolio Strategist at Standard Chartered's Chief Investment Office. And today on Through the Noise podcast, we'll be discussing our updated global economic outlook for the final quarter of 2023. Joining me on today's podcast is Mindpreet Gill, our regional CIO for Africa, Middle East, and Europe to share our macro strategy for the final day in 2023. I think top of mind is how can one navigate the markets today given the extraordinary rapid rates, rapid series of rate hikes that we've seen from central banks globally and quite a mixed bag of economic data that we are also seeing. Uh, major equity and corporate bond markets have witnessed wide ranges, but we're largely back at the end of the Q2 levels. So now with the Q3 outlook titled Reshuffling Our Pause having just been released, there looks to be um, you know, a couple of updates there in terms of you know, view changes on policy rates, regional equity um, and bond calls, and some notable changes in the Asian financial assets as well. So Manpreet, a lot to cover, but maybe a lot of focus on the central banks recently as well, um, especially with the slew of uh, policy decisions having been made announced. So the Fed and ECB have both signaled that they may be on an extended pause. So I guess the question is then, how should investors react to this? Hi, Hannah. Um, yes, you're right. I think when we look back at the Fed and ECB meetings over the past couple of weeks, um, uh, a period of pause was indeed the key message that came through. Now, I think to some degree, this reflects uh, you know, the intense investor debate um, that's been going on the economic outlook, which in turn reflects the, the mix of data that we're seeing. So if look at the U.S. as an example. The U.S. economy is balancing on one side, still strong consumer spending and an arguably very nascent bottoming of manufacturing. Um, against very weak leading economic indicators, still elevated inflation and tight financial conditions. Europe is facing, of course, a manufacturing slump and and a weakening services sector, but that contrasting, of course, with a still strong job market. And China, of course, some well-known growth challenges stemming from its property sector, but we are starting to see some green shoots emerge on the macro front. Now, this backdrop is why we are of the view that major central banks are now likely starting an extended pause. Let's not forget the the series of rate hikes in this cycle has been one of the most rapid on record. So uh, unsurprisingly, central banks would want to gauge uh, the impact, um, which is often delayed, of course, on the macroeconomy of this rapid hiking cycle. Now, for financial market investors, we think the most important takeaway is similar to what we laid out in a media outlook. And that is that we favor taking risks, but we do favor taking smaller sides risks that are more focused on regions and sectors on the equity side and quality on the on the bond side. Um, and all that, of course, within the framework of maintaining a more balanced allocation at a broad asset class level between equities, bonds, cash and alternatives. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, just taking a closer look at market data, there seems to be some divergence emerging between the US and Europe. So we've got U.S. economic data looking more resilient, at least relative um, in terms to Europe. And I think you've covered briefly on that previously. So do you think that this will translate to their respective asset markets? 
Uh, yes, we do. So when we think about our, our view of having a core allocation of global equities, within that we have raised U.S. equities to an overweight. Um, and that, of course, is balanced by moving uh, euro area and U.K. equities to an underweight. Now, in our view, this reflects what we see as continued resilience of the U.S. economic and earnings growth relative to a more imminent worsening of the outlook in Europe. Now, I'd acknowledge that U.S. equities do face a risk from valuations, of course, and you know, what we what we mentioned in terms of weak leading economic indicators. But nevertheless, we believe that there is room for recent outperformance to extend as the start of any economics and earnings recession is delayed by what we discussed on in terms of a still robust U.S. consumer and, you know, some of the AI-driven gains in the market. In contrast, the euro area faces an arguably more difficult growth outlook and more inflation pressure, uh, both of which is not a great combination uh, for policy flexibility. On the bond side, um, our overweight um, on developed market investment grade government bonds, uh, that's still very much in place. And U.S. bonds, of course, are a significant part of the asset class. Now, I'll acknowledge that timing the precise peak in yields is is likely to be an ongoing debate. And in the short term, there seems to be some strong upward momentum there. But we know two points here. First is that bond yields historically do tend to peak not far from the peak in the Fed policy rate itself. And we are of the view that Fed policy rates have likely peaked. And second, of course, that the current level of yields does offer a pretty sizable buffer against you know, the risk of further near-term rise in bond yields. And just to illustrate that last point with an example, today, if I take a benchmark, you know, U.S. Treasury benchmark index, the yield on that would have to rise by over 75 basis points or over 0.75% before the price losses on the bond start to outweigh what you earn on the 12-month yield. So that's a pretty attractive risk reward in our view. Right. Um, and I think maybe let's just turn our focus onto the Asian market space. So we've seen, you know, lately the Asian financial assets that's been coming under more pressure. So there's you know challenges in China being a key part of this. So how have any of our views changed over here? So you're right. We have made some changes to an Asia allocation, and the headline there is that we've reduced uh, both Asia Japan equities and Asia dollar bonds uh, to a core holding, uh, while retaining, of course, our Japan equities overweight. Now, when you think about China, uh, that of course remains a key component of both Asian equity and bond benchmarks. And over here, while you know there has been some policy stimulus measures coming through on a regular basis. The Big Bang irrigation style stimulus measures so far have not been forthcoming, and These may very well not be imminent without a strong catalyst in place, which does not appear to be in place uh, at at this particular point in time. So that's, I think, one driver of of the trimming behind of our equities view. But what I would emphasize is that within that core allocation to Ajax-Japan equities, maintaining you know, a regional diversification does remain quite important. So, you know, an example of that, Indian equities face a much more contrasting growth and valuations outlook compared with China. So there are some diversification benefits there. And of course, as I mentioned, if you look at Asia more broadly, our overweight on Japanese equities um, does remain in place. And that's because of its cyclical nature, it's improved corporate governance um, and, and buybacks, and still inexpensive valuations. Now, when it comes to Asia dollar bonds, um, Within that, investment-grade bonds have outperformed high-yield bonds recently um, in line with our expectation. But where that's left us, of course, is that uh, investment-grade bond valuations now appear to offer less value. And on the other side, we're not comfortable that the risk reward has improved yet for high-yield bonds. So that's why we trim our allocation here back to a core holding for Asia dollar bonds as a whole. All right. And maybe just to close things off today, one question on FX. 
Um, do you still expect the US dollar to weaken? And maybe also what other currencies you know, should investors watch closely in the coming quarter? So yes, we still expect moderate US dollar weakness. And when I think you know, uh, on our 12 months or a full year ahead horizon, uh, our expectation that US bond yields will move lower towards 325 to 3.5% on the 10-year, for example, uh, that's ultimately one key driver uh, behind a modestly bearish dollar view. Now, on the other side of that, if you're looking for uh, currencies that might benefit from it, most currencies tend to rise in a weakening dollar environment, but the yen's one that definitely stands out. Now, I'll acknowledge that in the near term, its status as a source of low-yielding liquidity globally means that strong appreciation may not be immediately forthcoming. Uh, but, you know, the history of carry trades does show us that, you know, that strength can come uh, all of a sudden. And, you know, with the yen, those moves do tend to be quite large. Now, on a shorter three-month horizon, um, I'd acknowledge that very bearish positioning does remain one challenge to a turn lower in the U.S. dollar. Um, having said that, we do believe that a Fed that's going on pause and the fact that the dollar is already at the top of its 2023 range, in our view, does tilt the risk towards at least moderate downside uh, for the dollar from here, even on a three-month horizon. Well, thank you so much for your insights as always, Manpreet. I'm sure there's a lot of things for investors to take away today. So um, that's the overview of our updated outlook for the remainder of 2023. To find out more, please look out for our Q3 Outlook report, which you can download from the link in the podcast description. So thank you so much for listening today and we wish you a pleasant weekend ahead. Thank you for listening to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank. For more details, visit Market Views on the go on our website or click the link in the description.